Hello again, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I wanted to share a book with you today that has to do with science and an extreme edge of science called scientism. I love science. I grew up on it. Uh, I, I loved watching shows on science. I read a lot in the field. I had my own telescope. And uh, so I have no problem with science. I, I think it's done some wonderful things. But there's something else out there called scientism that's gotten very popular, unfortunately. And so we want to talk about the differences. J.P. Moreland has this book called Scientism and Secularism that I'd like to look at today that talks about this. So science is a system of knowledge that we have, of course, to understand the world. And how do we do that? Well, we gather facts that are obtained through observation and experimentation. That's very different than scientism. Scientism is the view that the hard sciences alone have the authority to give us knowledge of reality. All right, so that's, that's very different. So let's take a look at what um, Moreland has to say about that. And by the way, there's some uh, tremendous people who endorse his book in the front here. Uh, Doug Grutice, Hugh Ross of Reasons to Believe, Stephen Meyer, who's a best-selling author himself, Greg Kokel, Nancy Piercy. So these are people that uh, really appreciate what Moreland has done. Moreland starts off in his intro and tells us something about his background, the fact that he, like me, he loved science, spent a lot of time with it, and he ended up majoring in chemistry. I didn't know that. Uh, I think of him as a philosopher, and so somehow, which is unfair, I picture philosophers not interested in science, so that's my bad. But in college, his interest developed in physical chemistry, but then in 1968, he was led to Christ by a Campus Crusade for Christ staff worker and began to change and ended up, uh, what an amazing uh, scholarly career. He got a doctorate in theology at Dallas, an MA in philosophy at U.S., oh, I'm sorry, at University of California, Riverside, and then a Ph.D. in philosophy at USC. And so he loves the philosophy of science and the philosophy of mind and metaphysics. So he wants to tackle scientism. He said, as he was in school, he kept bumping up against something that he called dark, hideous, and evil. And it was a philosophical notion. He, he's going to emphasize that throughout the book. Scientism is a philosophical notion. And so he says, it's, he says, it's really ironic that scientism is not a doctrine of science. It's a doctrine of philosophy. In fact, it distorts science. He says science cannot claim to be the only way to know reality. And, of course, he's going to spend time talking about that. And then he gives us a forecast of what his book is going to do. He says, I'll provide you with reasons why scientism is harming our children, destroying the church, and undermining our ability to get a fair hearing for the gospel. And so he emphasizes again that he's not complaining about science. He loves science. It's scientism. And so he starts in on this and explains again what scientism is. And he says it's the view that the hard sciences like biology and astronomy and physics and chemistry give us the only genuine knowledge of reality. And that at least it's vastly superior that we could, uh, from what we could learn in any other discipline. So that's his his background to get this thing going. He has some quotes of people to explain what they say about scientism. But let's hear what he has to say. Chapter 2 talks about why does it matter? In other words, why should we care? Why should we find out anything about it? Why, was she, why should we get into debates about it? He says, hardly anybody knows what it does to a culture and to the church. 
He says it makes uh, it easier to ridicule Christianity's truth claims. So in this chapter, chapter 2, he gives some specific reasons why we should be concerned about scientism. So number one, scientism, he says, puts any Christian claim outside of plausibility. He says what will happen is, as Christians, any moral or spiritual claim is going to be what he calls decognitifies. So in other words, everything that we believe and have learned about life or knowledge or history, it's going to seem implausible. It's, it's not even worthy of uh, consideration. And he says today the Western cultural structure, the way it works, is it emphasizes science and scorns religion. And he says it makes it really hard to be an evangelical Christian and to try to talk to others. And he said, in fact, when you try to talk to people about the gospel, you have to talk about a private felt need and the promise that Jesus is going to change their life. He said, well, that's fine, but somehow we're not allowed to say that Christianity is true. It's based on solid evidence, and we can know it to be true. But he says, scientism has forced the church to offer the gospel just because it works rather than it's true. So there's a huge problem right there. Scientism puts Christianity outside a truth claim anymore. Here's a second problem he sees with scientism. He says, we've got a shift going on here. He says it's uh, cascading other beliefs along the way. He says, one is we're shifting. For, well, let me go back and give you the title of what he's saying for the second problem. It's brought about several shifts that now define our culture. So the first shift is from knowledge to blind faith. Knowledge to blind faith. See, that's I've I've talked about that in some of my talks as well. That we're we're seen as people who took a leap in the dark rather than having any real reasons to believe in Christianity. He says there's also a second shift that he thinks scientism is responsible for, and that we've, we're moving from truth to an immediate satisfaction of desire. We need something to guide our lives, and uh, if if it's not there in a religious factor. So then, what do you got left? Instant gratification. Just satisfy your personal desires. He said there's a third shift in ethics, and it goes from duty and virtue to kind of a minimalism, a no-harm minimalism. He says if duty and virtue are part of the moral life, then there's got to be some knowledge to know what, what is the right duty, what, what are the correct virtues. But he says that's gone out the window now if there's no real uh, moral knowledge available. And so he says, instead, what do we get? This thing called, he calls a minimalist ethics. It's tolerating all moral viewpoints, and uh, the individual has more rights than the community. Autonomy is the highest good. And uh, it's um, a new setup out there in the world. You can, you can act any way you want, as long as you don't harm others. That's it. That's, of course, there are so many holes with that one, but I won't talk about that right now. Here's a fourth shift that he says. It's in the area of freedom. He said we're moving from a classic model of freedom to a contemporary one. He says classically, in other words, the old idea, freedom meant you had the power to do what you ought to do. Okay, you got that? The power to do what you ought to do. Now, it's the right to do whatever you want to do. And he says that's brought about moral chaos. And he says scientism shifts about how we think about tolerance. We've moved from a classic model to a contemporary model. In the classic one, uh, the principle of tolerance was you thought that you were right and your opponent was false, but you respect your opponent. 
as a person, and he respects uh, his right to make a case for his views. So you could tolerate that. And now, uh, well, the classic view is that you tolerate a person, but not their ideas. You, you would take on the ideas, but you would be respectful toward the person. Well, classic tolerance, Marlin says, presupposes the reality of moral knowledge. Well, it's scientism that's led to the contemporary view of tolerance. So now, if you disagree morally with somebody, that's being intolerant. And he says if scientism is correct, then there's no moral knowledge or truth out there, and there's should so there should be no moral disagreements. He said, well, that's crazy. He said it can't be consistently asserted or lived out. Why? Because those who affirm it imply that others who don't share their view are wrong. <clears throat> well, I thought tolerance said nobody is wrong. Secondly, he says it doesn't work because it silences the moral protest of evils like child molestation and racism. Really? Why would it do that? Because he said before you can morally protest something, you have to judge it to be wrong and not to be tolerated. Okay, so there's another problem. Here's, a, here's another issue, another concern he says we should have. Number three. So let me go back and make sure you're all right on the, the total uh, problems he's raising. Scientism puts Christian claims outside of plausibility. Number two, it's brought about some shifts that defined our culture. Here's number three. Scientism has led to more hostility toward Christianity. I mean, think about it. If scientism is true, in other words, you get all your knowledge that's useful from science, then Christianity is outdated. It's bigoted. It's superstition. Here's concern number four. It's derailed the church from making disciples, and it's made Christian parenting less effective. How is that? Well, he said, as Christians, we have to understand what's going on in the culture, and we have to make it clear to Christians, other Christians, and explain how to refute these systems. We, we should be taught, he says, not only what we believe as Christians, but why we should believe it. He said, we fail to address scientism, and it's causing young people to leave the church. There have been all sorts of studies done. And it said uh, in one study, four reasons were especially connected to this topic of science and scientism. One is, they asked people, by the way, why they were leaving church, young people. One was the church's shallowness of thought. The other, that it's an unsafe place to express doubts and get some answers. Number three was it's isolating itself from the culture. And last was the church's anti-science attitude. He says... What happens instead, since people are a little nervous about this, uh, dealing with the, the outside world, he said, so what are people doing inside the church now, trying to grow it by using just watered-down, intellectually vacuous, simplistic preaching? He says, they f often, he said, the pastors are failing to deal with broad cultural, intellectual, and moral issues that we all face. I mean, he says we get worship, we get good Christian music, we try to get people into small groups. He says there's nothing wrong with that. But he said he's noticing over and over again there's no place during church practice for people to learn, for their minds to be stretched, to learn how to defend their faith, to become godly, intelligent ambassadors for Christ. People don't have courage to stand up for their faith in a good way, in a non-defensive, winsome way. They lack the knowledge. I can't tell you how often with our apologetics group, I've noticed that. Um, over and over when we present the information, people say, oh, I now have more confidence in the faith. So we need to be building up the body of Christ. He says the whole idea of faith now is the idea that it's something without evidence. 
It says, well, faith used to mean trust based on what you know. And he says, as far as parents go, we're not helping parents furnish their children with reasons. And especially to reject scientism, the church has crippled Christian parenting, he says. That's really sad. And so Moreland, toward the end of the chapter, says, training in apologetics is vital to all areas of Christian education and parenting. He says, if we fail here, what we're going to do is we're going to have our kids leaving Christianity when they leave home. And let me add something here. I would like to mention Natasha Crane, C-R-A-I-N, Natasha Crane. She's really taken this to heart. She has lots of good books out now on how to help your kids understand the why of Christianity. So this is the chapter that I wanted you to see here about why scientism matters. But then he's going to go ahead and cover other things as well, like how it changed the universities. And it's something really important and an easy thing to master is scientism is self-refuting. Okay, so that's powerful. He shows how scientism is actually the enemy of science. He talks about how you can know other things outside of science. Because some people start scratching their heads going, well, what, what do I know outside of science? What, how can I make a case for the soul, for example, and things like that? So he gives uh, examples uh, all through here. How do we explain things, things that science cannot explain, but theism can? So I would like to cover more chapters of this book later because I think this is a huge issue. J.P. Moreland is a person we can trust. I appreciate his writing this as well as so many of his other writings. I hope you have a chance to take a look at it. Scientism and Secularism. Okay, well, thank you for your time.